All right. So uh, we're back with the Recovery Friends podcast, episode number three. Um, so today's guest, uh, before I say that, um, so just a look, quick description uh, about what we are. Uh, we're just a podcast. Uh, we have guests on who were once in active addiction in the throes of it and um, have found sobriety and um, are living, you know, relatively happy and useful lives. Uh, and they come on, tell their stories. Uh, we don't nece- we don't affiliate or speak for any twelve uh, step programs. The podcast itself doesn't, but the guests uh, often are members of such programs. Uh, so yeah, we don't we don't uh, represent any twelve step programs, and that's uh, important to be said. Um, our guest today is um, well. Uh, we met what a year, not a year this ago. spring. Yeah, this like spring. earlier this spring, mm-hmm. uh, James uh, was visiting here in New Orleans, and uh, it was just weird the way, like you know, we. I came in to get a tube, an uh, inner tube. Yeah. Work on my bike. Yeah. And then. Uh, and then I guess through like I, uh, I don't even know how we both found out we were both sober. It was middle of carnival. Uh huh. And. You said, "Well, you're up early, or something like that," uh-huh. then, or I was, or I was like, "I'm tooling around alone right now because all my friends are asleep." Uh, I wake up earlier than everybody because I'm not drinking. Yeah, and you're like, "Oh, you're not drinking." Yeah, and then after that, that's kind of like you know, it's funny. It's kind of the same thing I used to do with people who who were who used. Oh yeah, it's the mm-hmm. same like thing. Like they say something, you're like, "Oh, this guy is down. He can probably find something for me." Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Like it's the same. You kind of start throwing out the 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 clue words. Oh yeah, drug addicts and alcoholics. We know how to get what we want. <laughs> yeah. What you know, like we know the people. Yeah, we know our people. Right? Exactly. Same thing. Sober, <laughs> loaded. You know what I'm saying? That's crazy. I never I never thought of that. So yeah. Um, so then um, you came, you left, and now you're back visiting, and uh, you came back in here just to see what was up, uh, and I started doing this podcast, and so, and I figured, you know, due to our conversations, I, I could tell that you were, you know, very involved in whatever it is you do to stay sober, so yep. I thought, why not ask you on the podcast to tell your story? Um, so, I mean, if you want to start at any point, um, you can just take take the stage my friend all right uh yeah my name is james uh i'm a drug addict alcoholic uh thank you for asking me to speak tonight it's always a pleasure to be able to uh talk to anybody about recovery in general how i did it you know um kind of the way i got sober that's how that's sort of how it works you, you tell your story and it becomes sort of your your greatest asset as they say in helping someone else find their recovery Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to start from get. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, it, was, it was already a weird time. You know, my earliest memories are pretty strange. Um, both of my parents, um, whether alcoholic or abusing alcohol, um, heavy drinkers. Um, my dad's certainly an alcoholic. My mom, who I don't, you know, 
maybe drinking along for the ride, maybe maybe just abuses alcohol. I've seen her stop drinking before, yeah. so I don't really. And I also don't play doc. I don't try to diagnose anybody else. It's hard not to do it with your family, though. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, really. I do the same thing with my dad, and my dad would stop. Mm-hmm. But like in my head, I always thought probably one of us you know <laughs> periodic or whatever maybe yeah. um and i was about six years old when uh i realized what was going on mm. you know i thought my parents worked hard got tired acting you know acting weird all the time like they come home one person within an hour there's somebody else mm. you know and six years old is like pretty young time for to have that realization and it was uncomfortable and at, and with pops around i didn't really know what i was going to get a lot of um in he was he was pretty he could be really fun he could just pass out he could be a total slob he could be really aggro uh really abusive um really hard to kind of know what's going on and watch your mom get emotionally or physically abused to endure that kind of stuff yourself. Yeah. Um, maybe I wasn't catching that kind of abuse at such a young age, but very shortly after. And certainly w- w- wild to like be aware of that going on in your house and seeing your mom go through that stuff. Um, and I think, um, you know, I'm one t- who kind of prescribes the belief that there's a genetic predisposition for this disease. I treat alcoholism or addiction as such as a sickness um and uh i believe that i was probably born a drug addict but i i can't call anything black or white you know i i'm i don't really deal in being too certain about everything i kind Mm -hmm. of just stay 100 percent open-minded yeah um but you know before drugs and alcohol uh i was like seeking relief through kind of weirdo behaviors Hmm. and for me i think like my first drugs of choice were like secrecy and hiding and uh sort of like destruction and damage um it was like setting gas on fire and throwing a brick through a window and finding the pistol in your parents house and like you know weirdo weirdo stuff you know and I like to spend a lot of time alone. Um, and those kinds of things like gave me a real sense of relief, right? I'm, you know, riding a skateboard down some crazy hill, you know? Uh, I'm not thinking about my problems at home. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm breaking some glass and I, I, I'm, you know, for just that moment. Yeah. And shortly after, I discover drugs, right? I get turned on to weed. Uh, 11 12 years old something like that and um seemingly those moments of relief that i got through um whatever before i get hours out of weed yeah and maybe through repetition i can get permanent relief you know all day um as they say like it like drugs and alcohol it seemed like a, a solution yeah um and uh so I kept rolling and I wasn't like, you know, made that oath. I'm not going to drink alcohol because I see what it's doing in my house. Right. But within a couple of months, I'm drinking alcohol. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of. Um, so, so you never viewed alcohol as the lesser of the evils? You, you viewed it as like. Oh, it was. Yeah. 
it was it was like that's one I got to steer clear of. Oh wow. Um, and I always was kind like for a long time I was like pretty careful about drinking. It was like a weekend activity. It was a and not like an everyday thing. In high school, maybe I drank on the weekends. Maybe I drank like at lunch one day or during a class or something because you know. It's not like you can smoke a joint in history class. It's yeah. easy to like pop some pills or drink. Nowadays with the edibles, though. Oh, sure. yeah. Who knows? <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, shortly after starting to get high, um, I'm in high school. And then that's like there's more people. And uh, kind of wild. I since I started so young and since I was into like things like weed and psychedelics, um, I knew how to get stuff that a lot of people at my high school didn't know how to find. And so, um, kind of actually interesting. My high school experience was really wild. Like, uh, we would have been like called, nerds we were like artist kids any other school we would have been ostracized people would have been saying pretty harsh derogatory stuff towards us words that i'm not going to throw around on here you know Mm -hmm. um we i like we definitely would have been bullied but somehow with the school that i was at we got along with like the hardcore academics because a lot of us were really smart my little crew of like five or six friends the athletes, the cheerleaders, somehow, some way, everybody kind of got along. And on the weekends, we were mm. all sort of at the same parties, wow. um, which I hated high school, obviously. And I'm trying to hide. I'm trying to get away with being loaded all the time. And the administration knows and are t- constantly trying to get me kicked out. <laughs> um, and I'm selling drugs. And uh, yet, a, like a, a few months removed from high school, when I'm meeting people my age who had different experiences, I realized like what an amazing time that was. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so like I said, like I can, I know where to get LSD basically. No one else in my little neighborhood in LA has any idea. I'm like 14, 15 years old. The seniors, football players, whatever, the few of them that like smoking weed are like, Oh, you know, James can get acid. So all of a sudden, they're throwing me the magic bullet of cocaine in the back of Spanish class because I'm taking uh, I'm taking Spanish three upon entry to high school, and they're all uh, on the normal course. I was like a little accelerated in in that one subject. In Spanish, so, yeah. So all of my so all of my classmates in Spanish are seniors, and I'm a freshman. Yeah. And they're throwing me a little bottle of cocaine, passing me a bottle of liquor, uh, giving me pills under the table because they know that I have good weed and psychedelic drugs. And so we all eventually start trading. Um, and so I get turned on to pills. I get turned on to cocaine. Uh, I start drinking more casually. Um, and, uh, you know, like sort of like make small financial gains because I'm like enough that I can like basically do whatever kind of partying I want. Yeah. Um, and this continues to be my story. Um, you know, I got high for the first time at 11 or 12 years old, and I didn't draw a sober breath in, for 17 years, you know? Um, maybe one day, yeah. never two next to each other. 
Yeah. And the kind of Incredible. the kind of addict that I am, if I don't have my drug of choice, which is varied widely throughout those 17 years. Yeah. Um, awesome. uh, I'm just going to open a medicine chest. I'm just going to steal from a liquor cabinet. I mean, the amazing thing about alcohol is that it's free if you're not afraid to put it in your belt line, right? <laughs> like you can always get alcohol out of a grocery yeah. store. Like I, it's very, you can it's, steal it's it. safer to uh, rob a liquor store than a drug deal. Yes, totally. <laughs> and I mean, it's easy. And like, you know, I also shoplifted a lot. I didn't pay for anything for a long time towards the end of my addiction. Um, because I learned at a young age that, you know, you can just take whatever you want. Um, right. now to say, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I've been every type of drug addict, you know, at a very young age, as a sophomore in high school, I'm, uh, smoking crystal meth, you know, for months at a time. Um, I, uh, you know, sort of bottomed out as uh, a heroin junkie, you know, my last six years, um, drinking and using it was like every other month I was kicking a heroin habit. Um, towards the very end of that habit, uh, I get introduced to, uh, IV Coke. So I'm doing speed balls and smoking a lot of crack shooting a lot of Coke. And I have this massive heroin habit. Um, and that's kind of, uh, what happened really uh, I'll tell more of a story um a little bit more history since I got a long time here um so I finished high school somehow some way you know ditching whenever I can and g drinking and using like a grown alcoholic you know like I'm getting lo really loaded every day um and I'm not coming home very much, or I'm just showing up, getting getting as loaded as I can after school, because I know I've got two hours. So getting really loaded really fast, saying what's up to my parents, and then avoiding them for the rest of the night, and getting loaded again after I had to see them for a second. Or, and then I just stop coming home, because it becomes too weird at home. And I finish high school, which is a miracle. I don't know how <laughs> I did, you know? I like. What was your GPA? I have no idea. So I never turned in an assignment once. Wow. I would turn them all in. I would do all of the homework for the semester or quarter or whatever system it was on. The last two weeks of school, turn everything in for 50% F. <laughs> right? So I'd fail everything, but because 50% is just enough to pass the final with a high score and bring it up to a D or a C, which oh, passes wow. you from the class. That's interesting. So I like <laughs> jugged my grades like that, you know? And um, it's time to get out of LA, right? Yeah. My house is too wild. Uh, I need to change of pace. My sister had been living in Portland, Oregon for a couple of years, and I knew the cheap and easy to provide for yourself there. So I load up this like 1987 huge boat white Oldsmobile and throw my best friend in there pretty much everything I own which is like a bag and um kind of drove through drove through California real slow for a month stopping at scenic places and you know uh just like getting high with my buddy pulling into whatever towns Santa Cruz hanging out in Humboldt hanging out in Big Sur kind of just getting stoned and getting drunk with friends 
and I get to Oregon and that's where I'm going to stay and I don't really have any plan. Um, and then I get taken off of, I applied to two schools. Um, and when I get to Oregon, I get take, it was kind of just like service to my, try to make my mom feel good. Like I'm trying to do something. I didn't want to go to school at all. Um, and I get taken off some wait list to a college, um, in Portland. I decide to go, I'm already there. Um, and, uh, I don't even, I don't really know how my, my drink, my drinking and using, it continues to change shape and it continues to progress. Hmm. I get turned on to Oxycontin, um, once again, kind of like my early drinking. It's just like, oh, I'm going to do this once. It's so expensive, right? Yeah. Um, you know, one pill is $40 or something, That's right? Crazy. For an 80 milligram pill. Um, and like a lot of stories with opiate addicts, right? I get turned onto this pill that then gets taken off of the shelves and doubles in price, triples in price. Your connect tells you, well, you know, I, I mean, I have a heroin. It's really cheap, you know, <laughs> by comparison. Yeah. Um, and so that happened during college and like I got turned on to smoking heroin. Um, I think think by the time I was a senior in college, I experienced my first withdrawal. Um, and it was just like, whatever, like a uncomfortable couple of nights. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh, well, I'm not going to do that again. I got high for t maybe a week is too much. Maybe seven days straight is too much. Maybe I need to trim it back. And so I, and then ensues this constant battle and this sort of weird struggle of management and control over my drug use, mm -hmm. right? Oh, I probably just did it for a day too long. Oh, maybe I can drink alcohol and sniff cocaine, take some pills, but I should steer clear of opiates, you know? And all it takes for me is being drunk enough, or really I've found for myself personally hung over enough to make the decision to get high. On dope. Because um, that takes it away. Exactly. If I have a hangover, I'm on a bicycle within 15 minutes of waking up. And I'm telling myself for those first 15 minutes, you're not going to do this. You're not going to do this. Like, get the idea out of your head. And next thing I know, I'm zooming to downtown of whatever city I woke up in to find whoever has that dope. Yeah. Um, and then I have no control, right? I mean, I think, I don't really think that it is any specific drug or alcohol i think that like we all have our we all play favorites but as soon as i put any mind-altering substance um i don't know where what's gonna happen yeah. you know and typically for me my story has been that i end up a strung out desperate junkie now that might not mean that i don't have a dollar to my name and that i'm homeless um it's more of like an internal thing, yeah. you know, um, waking up with crippling anxiety, uh, wanting so bad to be able to change my life. Uh, not wondering if I am a loser, but like knowing that I am, you <laughs> yeah, know, like the question. Um, and, uh, like you hear so many people say insanity is trying the same thing over and over again, expecting new results what it came down to was that I learned that for me, insanity was 
doing the same thing over and over, knowing the shit results that I get, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I would get strung out knowing that it was going to happen eventually. Um, the illusion that I could just do one disappears. Yeah. And, um, and it really, you know, the thing is like, I never, the consequences weren't really there. Right. I get the degree, I get the job, which seems perfect for me. Totally ideal. Um, I meet the partner and I believe that I'll be with her forever, you know? Um, and, uh, like, you know, I, like I was, I was a wild dude, you know, like I, like I stole, I would save just enough of my wages for rent and bills somehow, some way. And I borrowed beyond my means a lot to cover my own ass. Um, but like everything else was stolen, like all of the groceries, everything that I drank, uh, the dog food, the dog medicine, the clothes I wore, um, anything that I could take off of a shelf and walk out with, I took, you know? How how long did you do that for? Uh, Probably like five, six years, something like that. Um, And I'd been stealing a lot before that, but like the necessity... Um, the necessity became really real, um, for me to, for me to figure out all of my finances in the direction of drugs and alcohol. Um, and it's somewhere in the time that I was a heroin addict, I put together maybe, I always say a year and a half, but, uh. Like we're good, we're bad at giving ourselves the benefit yeah. of the doubt. So you let's be let's, let's be like realistic and say <laughs> I probably didn't do dope for like eight months. Yeah. Um. And I was just drinking a lot. And I was at the bar and I'm falling I'm falling down and I'm literally crawling home. Uh. I'm walking out the front door of your house and I'm like falling down the steps. Um. I'm taking benzos at the bar, knowing that there's a fifty percent chance that I'm gonna black out. Um. The behaviors are really wild, you know, um, waking up in the morning and having to ask people what happened and more often than not. And I've heard this from a lot of my friends and a lot of my buddies that I used with. And I think that this was a reason that I, as a young person, put together so much time out there drinking and using with very little consequence is, uh, you know, some of us are really good at being sneaky. And a lot of people didn't know how loaded I was getting. And a lot of people didn't know what kind of drugs I was using. Mm. Um, Now in the Pacific Northwest, no one's gonna, you know, I had hair down to my hips and it's almost always long sleeve weather, right? So no one's gonna see holes in my arms and neck because I got hair Mm -hmm. covering it and I got sleeves over the ditches of my arms. Um, And, yeah, I would call the I would call friends in the morning and be like, "Man, what happened? Like, did I do anything wild?" You know, with that sh- shame over feeling yeah. in the morning of not knowing what happened, and they would be like, "Bud, you were drinking. <laughs> I gave you my keys. You drove wow, us yeah. home. I you know, you yeah. were fine. <laughs> you were fine." Or sometimes it was like, "Dude, you went buck. Your shirt was off." <laughs> And you wrote your name on the police station. Yeah. Your legal name. Like, you wrote <laughs> James Rules on the police station. Wow. Um, and uh, it was insane, yeah. you know? 
Um, and so many times, you know, like I get shown like what my, I get these humbling experiences where I get shown what my drinking mm-hmm. use looks like, what my using looks like. And it's really embarrassing or it's with the drug use. It's really depressing, mm-hmm. you know, and I continue to try to make it work and I can tr- continue to try to make it work until I, um, I start losing responsibilities at work six years after getting the job, you know, they're becoming a little bit sus of why, uh, why I'm acting so weird, why I need to make so many phone calls outside, why I need to take this half hour break, why I have so many emergencies popping up. Um, and, uh, you know, my partner at the time claims that it wasn't that she was unaware of my problems. She knew that I dabbled, but she didn't know that I was like fully strung out. She leaves, you know, we've been living together for two or three years. Um, and, uh, you know, I, that was like a huge loss of identity, right? Like I quit the job because I couldn't, take the um I wanted to save face from getting I knew it was only a matter of time right yeah so I quit the job to save face she bounces um and I uh it was like a huge shift for me like a big loss of identity that job had been my life for so long you know I'm so young and I had that job for six years um I'd been with her longest relationship I'd ever been in and for sure, you know, like the most significant. Um, I didn't really know what to do. You know, I, you know, I got really, really depressed. The housing market was shifting a lot at the time in Portland. So we actually split up, but she couldn't find a place that she could afford. So she's living in our bedroom. I'm sleeping in the backyard on a mattress. (laughs) Fall hits, starts raining every single day for the rest until maybe June or something starting about Halloween. Um, and so it gets cold. I move on to the pool table in the garage. I'm trying to sneak, you know, a hit of this, a shot of that, you know, I'm like hiding in my own garage, trying to get loaded, waiting for everybody to go to sleep, juggling a bunch of really small, low responsibility, entry level jobs. Um, she finally moves out. I think, yeah, she moves out and, um, like getting my room back and like my own space back was like the keys to the car of being able to drink and use however I wanted to, Mm -hmm. because finally I can hide, you know? And given that I did a lot of my using outdoors, you know, I, I never came home. I was in the park. I was on the street corner. I was, I, I, I always was, you know, I always just drank in the street. Um, Cause you I, couldn't do it at home necessarily. I could drink at home it's however I you. wanted to, yeah. but I can't smoke crack and I can't shoot dope yeah. at my house every day, <laughs> you know? Um, and even smoking crack, like that was something that a lot of people in my group, my f- group of friends like did a couple times a year or every once in a while, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I even smoked crack with that girlfriend before. Um, she actually is here right now. She's in, she, really weird how the universe works we i took this trip to philly this trip to new york and this trip here all you know three city ticket 
she's in New York the same time as me, and she's actually in New Orleans right now at the same at the same time as me, which is really strange. Wow. So we've gotten to like talk about a lot of this stuff cool. in the past couple of days, past week. Um, uh, yeah, she told me the last time she smoked crack was with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so I, like that gave me like a like I like like a little bit more reins to like have my own space to kind of party the way that I want to party in. And I, I, I kind of isolate from my friends at this point. Um, I'm trying to juggle some jobs and I'm becoming unemployable. Mm. Um, I sort of start turning to like the, like somehow I start hanging out with pretty much only my drug dealers or people that I'm, I'm starting to sell like, uh, mo- mostly heroin. Um, and I'm starting to sell heroin. So I'm basically around only drug dealers and, and people that I sell drugs to. And then I have to do that stuff during the day. And then I get to go home and be alone. And my time is, um, now just getting loaded. Um, which is, you know, I had been a racing cyclist before I had been a photographer before I, um, had been active in a bunch of other kinds of art. Um, you know, a good family member, a good friend. And this is all during the time that I was drinking and using. And now like, there's no more passion and there's no more connectivity, you know, like I'm not really anybody's friend anymore. And I'm not really anybody's brother or son anymore. And I am now living to get loaded and that's about it. It becomes it, you know, um, there's a lot of hoops that I have to jump through every day to get what I need. Um, and I think, you know, I don't, I had never necessarily thought about drawing some lines in the sand about like, I'm not willing to do this to get high. I'm not willing to do this to get high, but I did start doing a lot of stuff that I was not, that I wouldn't have been willing to do, you know, um, if you'd asked me a couple of years before, you know, um, would you ever stick up a store, you know, no, you know, um, and it, at a blink of an eye, I don't care. I become willing to do anything to get mm-hmm. loaded. And I become really desperate because finances get really, really rough. Um, and uh, I sort of, um, oh, I'm, I'll mention this too. This is like a huge tangent at this point. I should have talked about this earlier. Um, I'm, I'm at about, I'm probably about 27 years old um, at this time in my life. And back when I was 20, my dad, my dad's family intervened on him. They showed up to California. They sat him and my mom down, um, and they told him that he needed to go to rehab. Um, interesting experience. Um, there was like a lot of resentment there and weird stuff because they did some sort of blame shifty talk about like putting some of it on my mom. Yeah. Um, and they didn't ask me and my sister to be involved at all, which was really strange. And this was, you were 20 Yeah, I was 20 yeah. um, at the time. You know, I'm an adult. Yeah. Um, so anyways, none of the resentment stuff really matters. It's all yeah. old story. But the, the, these are the first moments that I get turned on to kind of the language of recovery. Yeah. Um, and my dad goes to rehab. My dad 
gets out of rehab, it doesn't really seem like anything's changed so much, except <laughs> like he's not drinking. Yeah. Um, but then a friend of mine passes away. We have the uh, memorial service, or not the service, but the, the like after party. Like the, we all go to the service and reception, and then a bunch of people traveled across the country to go to Michael's funeral. And so we have the we invite all of his friends over to my house, my the house that I grew up in to party. And I see my dad drinking, and the word relapse never came into mind. Yeah. Um, it just made sense, right? Like someone died, obviously you're gonna drink. Of course. Um, and uh, it wasn't a big deal to me at the time. Um, and s- my mom and I had become really close, maybe around when I was like 15 years old, and we always. She was sort of my ally in the house because we both got the shit under the stick as far as what we had to deal with from him. Yeah. My sister was, you know, daddy's little girl. So, like, she wasn't spoiled, but, like, he just didn't, he he never treated her shitty, you know? Um, and uh, so I can tell this winter that the the when I was 20, I was still 20, where I'm talking about, right mm-hmm. after I saw him drinking. I could tell that something was going on in my house. And I'm talking to my mom, like, just in talking to her, my mom doesn't sound right. And I said, what's going on? What's up with dad? How bad is it, you know? She was like, oh, man, okay, let's not get anybody worried. Don't talk to your sister about this. It's really bad. Things are really shitty. I'm really worried about him. He's not doing any of the stuff that he's supposed to be doing that was suggested to him in rehab to try to get sober. Um, I'm really worried about him. Um, Shortly after this conversation, maybe a couple of weeks, my mom comes home from work and finds that my dad commits suicide in the garage. Um, And, you know, I never really thought twice about that stuff. Um, it was kind of just this really shitty thing that happened. And I think in a huge way, whether I was just stuffing it down and not dealing with it, you know, um, uh, I just didn't really deal with it. I kind of set it aside and kind of just like poured drugs and alcohol on top of it. Mm. Showed up for my family when I had to. Yeah. But like, I remember even like the night that I found out they were like, buying plane tickets for my sister. My uncle in Seattle was like, okay, we're going to get you guys on a plane right now. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I will go tomorrow. Hmm. Nobody needs to buy me a plane ticket because I need to fucking get loaded. Yeah. You know, like I can't get to the airport right now. Like I need to fucking deal with this the way that I deal with things, which is sniff a bunch of Coke, sniff a bunch of dope, drink a lot of alcohol at the time in my life. And then I think I drove down the next day rather than take a plane. I think I just drove to L.A. Um, and um, so this time in my life, let's go back to where I was at, bottoming out. Um, I lose sight of everything besides getting high. Uh, I Somehow simultaneously, my main connection, she decides that she's going to try to clean up. She gives me the phone number to the people that she picks up from. And, it and like, I don't know. Um, the way things worked in this circle, in this town, um, people, like, pay for phone numbers to connections. Like, you would pay someone 
$500,000 for the, um, the connect, um, because you're going to make so much more than that eventually, you know? And so I get put on with two really nice guys from Honduras and all I have to do is meet them once in the morning, line up a few people. It takes me about 15, 20 minutes. I do one errand. I go pick up something from them. I go drop off at all these cars of people that I know. I walk right back to them and I give them all the money. And then I have as much dope as I can do um, every single day. Wow. Um, and uh, this was my ticket to losing uh, the relief that drugs get me. You give, you give someone unbounded amounts of drugs and alcohol, eventually they're going to get to that point if they're a real sicko where to- they're in this battle against tolerance hmm. where you can't, I couldn't get high anymore. You know, I, I have a quarter ounce of heroin for free every day. That's more than I can fit in my body, you know, and I, I can't get loaded. And at this point, all it's really doing is like keeping you from getting sick. Yep. And so and I it's start not even, not even an inch of relief, maybe a little bit every once in a while. And I think a lot of that is like fetishization of the process, Yeah. you know, and I'm not going to get into colorful language. Um, but like you get that breath of relief from maybe the sickness going away, but also I think from fixing in general, like all of the little steps you have to do, unwrap, cook up, whatever, whatever, whatever from yeah. there. Um, you, you get to, you get that little bit of relief. Um, you know, you're not going to be sick. Um, and then I start IV and Coke every day cause that works, right? I don't yeah. have a Coke habit. So I start being able to get high um, IV and Coke and, and it tore my body up. You know, there's no really pure Coke in Portland. It's all really stepped on. So I was mixing crack and white vinegar because it's, it's cheaper and more available in my neighborhood and there's no cut in it. So I'm just like banging crack and vinegar and just rotted my body away. Um, I had within three months, like, uh, it was taking me hours to be able to hit, you know, I'm sitting around dope houses and I'm looking at all of these people getting off, all these people sleeping at the end of the day. Uh, and I still can't get high, you know? And, um, and I'm crying and it's really dark and it's really depressing and I'm not really eating food anymore. And, um, you know, I'm in like, shitty hotels with really shitty fucking people. Um, everyone is sketch. I'm constantly afraid of being robbed. Uh, and you know, drugs aren't working at all. And somehow, you know, like I get a phone call from my buddy Max and he's someone who I, he was kind of like in and out of rehab in and out of, um, 12 step programs, um, for his own addictions. And, uh, he called me one day and he was like, Hey, but I just want to let you know, I have a new phone number. Uh, how you been? And I was like, I've been all right. And we were all kind of sus of Max cause he was, could be really scandalous. Um, <laughs> when he was loaded, uh, sketchy, paranoid tweaker style. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he was like, yeah, I, you know, I've put a couple of years together 
I'm working at a drug treatment facility. Um, my life is looking really good. And I was like, whoa, that's cool, man. Good to hear. Um, well, thank you for calling me. I'm glad that I have your phone <laughs> number and I'll talk to you later. But it was like a spark, right? Yeah. And somehow that week, uh, you know, I'm in the bathroom per usual looking in the mirror to see if I can get something inside of me. Uh, and uh, I'm thinking about how I'm going to die using and that's all right, you know? And I think a lot of people don't, a lot of drug addicts, a lot of alcoholics don't think about, um, you'll hear people, um, in programs say like the alcoholic death. Um, and I think a lot of drug addicts and alcoholics don't think about that as suicide, right? It's sort of like a passive suicide, right? I just drank until I, I'm going to drink until I die. And I think a lot of us make the decision to do that. Yeah. Um, and I had resolved that I was just going to use as much as I could until I died. I didn't care about anything anymore. Drugs and alcohol aren't working. Like, let's see if I can OD. Let's see if I can just f- kind of rot off. Um, and, you know, m- I think about the shift in dynamic in my family. I think about my sister and my mom and how greatly affected by my dad's suicide they were. And... I think about the dog that I've been taking care of for eight years, you know, um, which was like the last priority that I stayed on top of. So her life, the quality of her life was not excellent, mm-hmm. but still somehow, some way, even when I was too sick and too hurt to walk, um, I'd drag her down to the park and I would just sit on a bench and just like let her, she would just run laps around the park every night. Um, it was like the one thing that I did with my life besides get high was like feed her and take her out. Um, and, uh, I think about all these people that I'm going to leave, you know? And I think about how fucked that is. And I decided to call Max back and, um, he says, okay. Um, I can get you into our facility and I can get you on an airplane tomorrow. And I was like, Whoa, how about like one more day? Can I get two days? You know, cause I got to do a good one. Yeah. You know, I gotta, I gotta party a little if it's going to be the last one. Um, and I didn't necessarily know, like, and I, of course I tried, right. I scored all the, I told the connect. I was like, Hey, this is the last time I'm doing this for you. And they were like, weirdly enough, so happy for me. Wow. <laughs> um, and have s- since, cause they change their phone numbers every week. They have since called me twice to see if I'm still sober, which is wild. Uh, um, maybe maybe they're just waiting for you. <laughs> maybe. They made the offer once. They were like, you ever coming back to Portland? Yeah. And I was like, no. Nope. You're a good employee. Absolutely not. <laughs> nope, I'm not. Um, but um, uh, so I, go, I, I don't know what I'm getting into. I tried to get high that last day, and obviously I can't. Um, I try to save myself something for the morning, and I can't. You know, yeah. um, and so I get on the plane. I'm like a, I'm like five, ten and a half or something, and I get on this airplane, and and, and like soaking wet. I'm like 125 pounds, um, and like the dude they sent to pick me up was one of the co-owners of this facility, really good friends with my buddy, and he was like, he said he could spot me from 
from like a block down. He knew. He was like, oh, he's from Portland and he's a junkie. And it was like, I was just like a rail with a beard and a leather jacket, you know, <laughs> just like this tiny beanpole um, with t- way too much clothing on. I'm in LA and I'm wearing a wool cardigan under a leather jacket yeah. and like long jeans. <laughs> and um, he gets me in the car and I just immediately pass out. Um, and they take me to the detox and check me in and then they take me to the doctor and I can't stay awake in the doctor's office. Um, and they think that I'm nodding and they want to Narcan me. And I was like, no, 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 you guys don't understand. I haven't done anything today. Like I've just been running and I'm fucking worn out, you know, like I'm beat. I can't even stay awake. Um, whereas like normally it was weird kind of psycho spiritual experience because like normally I would be fiending and freaking out, you know, but I think that I'd really kind of submitted. Um, and I remember that and I remember all of the wild fucking dreams I had in detox, huge long stories, you know, days long I'm sleeping and then I'm not sleeping. And, you know, in a detox facility, depending on the facility, you're pretty medicated yeah. Smartest thing ever I've ever heard. The doctor told me, he was like, hey, you're going to get offered medicine every day. Half the medicine on day two. Half the medicine on day three. If you want to get out of detox, you have to have no medicine in your system. So stop taking it as soon as you can. Uh-huh. And I tried to taper through using Suboxone before doing like months at a time, right? Yeah. And it was really popular at this time for doctors to tell you, oh, you're, we're going to put you on a maintenance program where you're going to be on this drug for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, it's not still like that. I um, feel like it is. It's kind of not on in certain places. And yeah. on the West Coast, they're less inclined to do that, I think. Yeah. Now, given, um, in my opinion, for-profit recovery is a wild scam. There's so much insurance hustling going on out there. And while you might find and meet people in those facilities who are really doing this thing and really want to help you. And I think go to rehab, please go to rehab because I needed a break from the world. You know, like I couldn't have done it on not locked into a facility. Yeah. Um, and I'll talk more about that. Um, but it's also kind of shady business. Yeah. Um, it's scary stuff. Um, tell you what, let's, um, Let's just take a quick break. Okay. I'm going to pause it, and then we'll restart it. Okay. All right. I feel like this is a good stopping point. All right. We're back. Bathroom breaks and all. Uh, Oh, yeah. So uh, I think you were uh, detox, right? Detox. What a wild experience. (laughs) Um, I had heard about this happening to junkies before, but I think because I'd stayed loaded so often... And this was a real humbling one for me. I think day two, I wake up, I'm really heavily medicated. (laughs) And I walk to the bathroom in the middle of the night to take a piss. And I piss. And all of the back of my pants so hot. (laughs) And it just, I totally just deuced myself. Wow. Gross. Um, Still grieving the loss of those jeans. Um... And, you know, really humbling experience because it's the first time it's happened to me and nobody likes to shit themselves. Yeah, no. That's and I go into the office in the morning and I was like, hey, 
there's a pair of jeans in the trash can in there. You know what happened? Um, can I do anything? You know, can I help you out? And they're like, dude, stay in bed, drink water, try to eat something, you yeah. know? And I it, also, um, like I talked about, like they thought I was so high uh, when I came in. Um, I, I, I was so worn out. And like I had said earlier, I was barely eating at all. And um, my body had become a machine that ran on drugs. Yeah. And um, without any, even with um, blood pressure meds, even with, you know, non-narcotic muscle relaxers to keep my body from spasming, even with uh, the Suboxone to trick my body into thinking that, you know, to cover the opioid receptors or whatever. Um, I, I almost flat, I lose all blood pressure. Yeah. I almost flatlined. I almost died without drugs and alcohol. And they're talking about hospitalizing. They were like, dude, we got to get you to a hospital. Cause we don't know if we can, if you're going to make it. Um, I think the second night or first night that I was there or something like that. Um, it really was a really bizarre experience. Five days of just kind of like trying to sleep and like having these very alive these very very awake hallucinatory dreams where my roommate who was a veteran of of treatment facilities oh. <laughs> um just has the tv on the whole time and he's just taking a break from the street you know um which is what i was talking about before you're gonna meet a lot of people who are really used to this system yeah so you hadn't been ever Okay, I was, I, I was thinking, I was like, did I miss that? I he had never been. never tried to get clean, ever. Yeah. I, now, the idea of abstinence from drugs and alcohol was insane to me. Yeah. You know, my two buddies from high school who got sober through whatever programs, um, now they seemed like wild defects, right? Like, I was like, oh, yeah, well, those are just some kind, that's just some freak occurrence, right? Yeah. People who need that. <laughs> Because in my opinion, every single person needs to get loaded, right? And, excuse me, um, and I would even argue, like, well, let's look at history. Every culture has had the drug oh, that yeah. they use, you know, all that bullshit, yeah. you know? Um, and uh, I really believe that you were a psychopath if you didn't, if you were sober, you were nuts to me. You know, um, I had no experience with sober people or sobriety, you know, yeah. the community that I grew up in was not like that and always shifting, right? Like I was very, at a very young age, I was into a very punk scene. Um, and then as I got older, it was more of like a sort of hippie scene. Um, and all of it was just fueled by like what kinds of drugs I liked to do at the time, you know? Um, or what kind of music I was listening to or what my sort of worldview and sentiment was, right? If I was punk and I was angry, that was still misguided. And if I was a hippie and there was all of this like sort of love kind of energy, that was all kind of misguided too. Yeah. And at the very base of all of these sort of anti mentalities that I had was... Uh, the world is fucked and nothing really matters. So like, let's live however we want, which just gives me a lot of room to use 
drugs and alcohol like a nihilist, right? Like, oh, well, nothing really matters, so I'm just going to do things my way, right? And here I am thinking that this is freedom, right? Yeah. To not play by any rules, to steal whatever I need, and to get as high as I want to because um, kind of fuck the man and fuck you and your opinions, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I go to detox. I get out of detox. I get taken to um, like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting the first night. Um, one of my friends is there. <clears throat> I meet people kind of all the stuff that they're saying and you hear the opposite of this a lot like oh I came in and it didn't make any sense to me it all sort of just made sense and um I think also like you know there's like a spiritual aspect to 12-step recovery and a lot of people can't really boogie with that at all um but it became very clear like how open-ended that is and then it's all sort of like up to you and and that you can decide like what your sense of spirituality is yeah um and i think that that part of me had gone to sleep you know that uh i probably i was having spiritual experiences all the time you know but i just wasn't really awake like when you're when you are open-minded to the experience then the experience comes but if you aren't thinking that way and don't think about that kind of stuff, then you're not really seeing the magic in the world. Yeah. Um, and so the, the program got made sense to me and, um, I've never been picky and choosy about that kind of stuff. I, I will say I did get, I did get sober and I maintained my sobriety by being involved in 12 step programs. Now, whether that's AA, NA, cocaine, anonymous, crystal meth, anonymous. Um, I had, the opportunity to speak at this huge heroin anonymous meeting, which I'd never been to. I'd never mm-hmm. been to a meeting before recently. Um, it was cool too. I mean, it's all kind of the same stuff, you know, yeah. um, uh, all really based on, and I think the most important things are it, the most important thing to me is that you're getting right to help somebody else out. Yeah. And that's it. It's that's just the, the altruistic aspect of the program is the, is the glue to me. Um, now, anything I say about um, any 12-step program, I'm not any authority. And it, I'm not speaking the program. You know, in my opinion, the program are the steps. And this is all just my opinion and my experience with the program. Um and I'm probably going to tread lightly on all that stuff anyways and not really get into it. Um, I will say that if you're listening to this and if you want to recover from drug addiction or alcoholism, and if you're trying to quit and you can't, then maybe check it out. Maybe check out a program. Maybe yeah. specific to the drugs you use. Maybe just go to an AA meeting. You know, It worked a world of difference in my life. Yeah. Um, so I get out of detox, they enroll me in some uh, intensive outpatient program where I'm going to basically rehab classes in the morning. And then in the afternoon I have nothing to do. And then they take me to some 12 step meeting at night. And I'm living in a sober living, hmm. kind of in the neighborhood I grew up in in LA, which is weird. 
so weird to be back, right? I've been gone for 10 years. I've done a lot with my life, and I've also lost my life. And I'm back in the neighborhood I grew up in, and I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I was going to try something different, you know? And I get really involved in 12-step stuff. I take commitments, like little jobs at meetings, all stuff that people are telling me to do. And I just listen to them because these are all people who had similar experiences to me and now aren't strung out or stuck to a bottle or stuck to a pipe, you know? And these are all people who had problems like mine and now have these, these beautiful lives, you know, where they're not slave to some drug or drink. Um, and I want that and I want it really bad and I get really involved and I start working with a sponsor. I start listening to him and I start going through this book and I start doing these steps and I can feel stuff happening, you know, and I can feel myself changing and I can feel my mind shifting and I can feel my worldview changing and, um, you know, I don't really, can't really put my finger on it except for that it was what I was used to and that it was kind of all I knew and that it was the way my brain was wired from a very young age. But with, you know, within a couple of months of sobriety, all I needed, you know, I was working a hard labor job. I was doing it. I was doing a landscape redesign, um, on this old historical house by myself, just me at work, beautiful experience, wonderful property huge French Mastiff, the owners are gone all day, or maybe the matriarch of the family is working next to me, which is wild to see the 70-year-old woman <laughs> um, resodding a lawn with you, you know? Um, I'm digging ditches for irrigation, I'm building a rock wall, I'm laying out some patio. Um, I get strong, and my body bounces back really fast. What a remarkable, what a remarkable experience to see how resilient the human body is. Incredible. I was yeah. dead, you know, I almost died in that detox. And all of a sudden, like I'm in better shape than I've ever been in, in my life. Now the catch 22 to that is I have some money in my pocket and I can see a vein in my arm hmm. and I'm loaded out the gate, you know? Wow. And, um, I continue to try for six months. I go to a meeting every single day. It's all I know at this point, you know? that this thing works for some people. And I show up every day and I keep all of my commitments and I get honest and I say, I got high last night. The first time, so scary. I felt like I let everybody down, yeah. you know? I had all these early freedoms in my sober living because I was like this shiny example of how to do this thing, you know? I came in the most fucked off and I had uh, kind of turned it around quicker than anybody. Yeah which didn't lend itself to me, you know, because I'm a sneaky fucking drug addict, you know, like I'm going to try to pull some shit. I'm going to pull the wool over your eyes, you know? Yeah. It's like the same thing. You were able to like fool people that uh, about how much you were using. I've the same story for me. Yeah. And when you get sober, like everybody thinks you're doing everything right, you know? And, uh, and I spend six months kind of the same thing. And like, Fibonacci pattern, like Nautilus, smaller and smaller amount of time. Uh, small, I can put together a smaller and smaller amount of time to the point where I'm getting high like once a week. And I'm starting to not get honest about it because I'm going to lose my, I'm going to lose my room in this sober living if I pop dirty. Uh, 
And I would do weirdo shit too, like go to a meeting on the other side of town so I could talk to people about how I can't stay sober. But I start being able to not get honest with people because I'm going to lose the place that I live at, you know? Um, And I'm confused. And I'm fucked up. And I'm lying in bed. And I'm wondering, you know, I'm saying like foxhole prayers too. I don't, uh, that's the thing about spirituality. Um, I'm an agnostic at best, right? Like, I don't know what God is. In in my opinion, it's arrogant to say that you know. God, like, bless you if you have some really clear, concise understanding of what a higher power is. To me, it's just like, I, I, I could never know, you know? I could never know. Um, the program tells you to pray, right? I don't know what the hell I'm praying to. Um, I do know that something happens and that I get some wild effect out of it, though. Um, you know, when I'm stressed, uh, when things are completely out of control for me, when I'm sp- kind of spinning out, and this is just life stuff, right? Um, you know, like I ask for removal of defects of character. I have to show, be shown how to be of service and be of use to the world around me. Um, I ask for relief so that I can not ever like Santa Claus style, like give me this, give me this relief, but only so that I can be an instrument of use to other people, right? Um, and it always works, you know? And maybe I'm going to be uncomfortable for a couple of months sometimes, you know? Um, which is true for me. Maybe things are going to be really shitty and really hard and I'm not going to know how to get out of a situation, right? But eventually, it gets better, you know? And um, and it's wild for a guy like me to be saying that stuff, you know? But that's just sort of like how I've seen the program work in my life. Hmm. Um, and uh, eventually, I go on like this three-day run where... Uh, it gets really real, really fast, really real, really fast. Um, I am high on benzos. I'm shooting dope. I am smoking speed and shooting speed, which I don't normally do, but it's free at the time. I met some drug dealer who within a day, I get loaded one day. Uh, the next day he calls me and he says, Hey, um, you seem legit. Um, I need to go pick up a bunch of shit and I don't have anybody to ride with me and like, just kind of for safety, like, could you roll with me? I'll give you a bunch of shit for free. So I didn't even have plans on getting loaded day two and I'm getting loaded again for free. Day three, he's calls me and he's like, Hey, I got to go jump this dude. You help me. You help me out. I'll hook you up. Wow. No doubt, dude. Free drugs. Let's go. (laughs) And like that was a wild, right? Because that Thursday I was sober and at a meeting and helping other people, right? Three days later, you're jumping. Three days later, I'm jumping some dude for drugs. Um, That same day, um, now I, I have had to leave sober living because I'm relapsing so much. My mom invites me to be on her couch and figure my shit out. She comes home from out of town and sees me um, fixing, which is wild, you know? 
no mother should have to see, you know, it's so dirty. Like I'm an IV drug user. It's so wild to put her through that, you know? And at the time, I'm not thinking that, you know, I'm not thinking like, oh, bummer. Um, she saw me fix. Like, I'm like, what a buzzkill. This sucks that I have to deal with this crap. You know, this is getting in the way of me getting loaded. I leave to go meet up with that guy and to go whatever jack this dude. I get high and I pour drugs on the problem of my mom, the conversation I just had to have with my mom in some gas station bathroom. And I walk out and I'm so loaded. The same dude who bought me that ticket and got me into the program uh, happens to just pull in to get gas. And he's got his whole family in the car and he gets out and he's like, James, you're so fucked up. What do you do? You're across the street from an LA sheriff station and you were so loaded. Throw away anything that you have. I'm going to go drop my wife off and then I'm coming to pick you up. And then I landed in a residential treatment facility for the first time ever. And I took, um, and I took that month off, you know, and I said, and I didn't know how long I'd be there. They said three months when I got there and I signed the paper cause I didn't know what to do with my life, you know? The same time that I was in there, um, uh, it turns out the first room I rented in in Portland had been f the house was foreclosed, and so like while I'm in treatment, I get an entire years of rent refunded to me, um, and this is something that I want to talk about is um, like I said earlier, like go to treatment, take a break from the world. You know, get off of the street for a while. Give yourself a fighting chance. I had to be removed from all freedom to make any decisions in the free world because I would have been loaded again. You know, I'm sure of it. I would have, if you give me an inch, I'm going to take a foot, you know, and I'm going to figure out how to sneak one in, you know, until I lose my capacity for being sneaky, which I eventually do. Um, if I've learned anything by watching my own life, um, and during that time, you know, I had heard all the rehab stuff. I'd heard all the program stuff. I'm not really convinced that any of it works for me, you know, but I continue to listen to people. Uh, I continue to do whatever work they tell me to do. Uh, I meditate a lot. I play a lot of basketball. I start running. M made a huge difference for me. One thing uh, suggested to me by a therapist, the, um, she was the director of this facility, which funny enough, I had actually started seeing her privately as a therapist that summer when I couldn't stop relapsing. Mm. Um, and, uh, so I get to work with her like one-on-one -on -one all the time in this facility, um, which is great. And she was like, why don't you try like mantra style speaking, mantra style writing? really repetitive nature let's trick your brain into committing to sobriety you know so every night i'm lying in bed and i think that the physical action um i recently heard science um refuting this that you can listen and it's the same thing as reading mm -hmm. um if you're listening intently um but i think the physical action of pen to paper is really huge for some people yeah um and I basically just said every single night for a long time, 15 minutes, half hour, hour, if I'm not sleeping, you know, I will not drink and use 
basically like uh it's unproductive i'm a productive person you know it it's i'm not an i'm not a negative person i'm a positive person love yeah. is the mission blah, blah 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 whatever it is you know um to figure out basically to rewire my brain right yeah. that's to, interesting um and I don't know if that's what worked for me. Yeah. I, I don't know. A counselor would make me write down like positive affirmations. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it, if it did anything, but I mean, I definitely needed it. Yeah. <laughs> she was convinced that like mantra stuff is yeah. like an amazing way to rewire yourself. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was it. I don't know if the 12 step stuff was it. I don't know if all of the meditation, I don't know if the physical stuff, the running, the basketball, I don't know if the solid diet, you know, I think all of those things are each a facet in how I've been able to do this. Um, but I, you know, this is now two years and a month ago or something. Mm. And, you know, I've been sober every day since then. Um, and I got out and I got reinvolved in the program and uh, my life steadily improves, you know? And, you know, I go to a lot of meetings and more often than not, it's to make myself available to help out other people. Um, because, you know, it's rare at this point to hear a speaker, you know, after going to a meeting a day for two and a half years where I haven't heard a similar story, mm -hmm. you know? Um, now, like oftentimes I, hear something wild that I've never heard before, but, um, I, I really, I really stick strongly to helping other people out. Um, you know, and like, I think acts of service are, it's really open. It's really open ended. Right. Yeah. Um, I think like, you know, washing someone else's dirty dish, um, holding the door for anyone and everyone equally, you know, um, I try to take the same positivity and the same helpful attitude to everyone in the world. Yeah. Um, to not walk around with some suspect chip on my shoulder. I try not to write anybody off. I try to, you know, give most people the benefit of the doubt. No, I'm not perfect. And I fuck up all the time. And I see someone on the street that my brain tells me immediately is an asshole. <laughs> um, but it's not really who I want to be. Right. Yeah. Um, and what I've found in staying sober, right, is like, I'm not, I'm like, I thought that I was clinically depressed. I thought that I had some anxiety disorders, you know, and it turns out that like without drugs and alcohol, I'm a totally comfortable person. Yeah. Um, you know, three years ago, if you put me in front of this microphone and asked me to tell you a story about my life, it would have been fake. I would have lied about everything or I would have just said no. You know, yeah. like, I don't want to do this. Right. Um, and, uh, like I get a huge kick out of helping other people out. I mean, you hear people say, um, esteem is built through esteemable acts, right? Yesterday I woke up in the morning and I asked a buddy, you know, I'm just visiting new Orleans and I asked a buddy what he was doing today. And he was like, Oh, well, um, I'm going to be busy for a little bit. Uh, I have to go to my friend's house. She's cooking all of this food and then we're going to take it down um, to the underpass on Loyola and feed everybody who lives down there. And then we're going to go to the park up at the library and give the rest of the food away. Wow. And he was like, just do that. And he, the kindness of their heart. And yeah. And he figured like, I wouldn't be interested cause I'm out here on vacation. And yeah. I was like, Oh bet. Like, can I please come with, yeah. you know, because I know, 
um, that that's the stuff that keeps me feeling good. You know, um, I haven't been going to a lot of meetings while I've been on the road. I've been on the road for about two or three weeks. Um, and, uh, that's, I came by to ask you where, uh, where I should go tonight. And you said, well, actually, would you mind telling your story? Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm going to a meeting for myself tonight, or I'm going to be of service and maybe, you know, like I'm going to do this and maybe be of service to somebody else. Right. So I just say yes to these kinds of requests. I mean, I try to say yes most of the time to being helpful in the world. Um, if not all of the time, but you know, I have other commitments, job, whatever, you know? Um, yeah, I think that, uh, sobriety has given me a sense of comfort and ease that I was always seeking by using drugs and alcohol. Um, I think that like all I really wanted was some sort of, uh, release from myself and the feelings that I was having. And now today, like, even when I'm uncomfortable, I'm grateful for that discomfort, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, most of the time, like, I, I feel fucking amazing. It's wild, <laughs> you know? Um, and also, like, I w- had this twisted view that, like, the world was fucked and real freedom is not adhering to anyone or anything and just doing whatever you want, right? But where did that get me? Totally stuck, the least free I've ever been, right? I I had to do the same thing every single day. It was Groundhog Day and a really depressing, dark version of it. Um, Today I go anywhere that I want in the world, you know? Almost every single person that I ever did wrong to, I have gone face to face with and cleaned up, you know? I'm not looking over my shoulder for somebody uh, to come and get me for whatever I did to them, you know? Um, And I can go wherever I want, you know? Like, I'm thinking about quitting my job right now just to put my dog in the truck and sort of make up for lost time to her and lost time to myself. You know, I gave away a lot of my 20s to bottle, pipe, needle, you know? Um, and there's a lot of stuff that I want to see, you know, and like I have not only goals today, but ideals that I live by. Right. And, um, so I think I might just quit working for a while because without a habit, I'm financially stable, you know, and I'm not balling. I don't have some fancy job, you know, but I'm able to sublet my room and take care of myself without working for three months, half a year if I want to, because I've spent this two years just working really hard, you know? Um, It's amazing stuff. Like, I'm totally free in a way that I never thought I would be. Um, It's so cool. Yeah, that's powerful. And it's so cool to uh, have been able to come down here and uh, talk to whoever's listening about this. this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully the audience audience grows. But, man, that's great, dude. it, sobriety really is an incredible journey, bro. It's amazing stuff, yeah. you know. It's amazing stuff. Yeah, and it's and you know what's funny? It's like I, you know, I've got a little bit more than you, and I think when I think two years, I think, you know. But like, I think like in my mind, I think I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. But like, 
I mean, I hear your story and I go, man, this guy's like having the experience, right? Because like I, I, I diminish like as, as I get as I get more time, I diminish the experience of two years. And at two years, man, God, on fire for sobriety. Talk about like and, 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 and having that new experience and like all these realizations. What a what a beautiful place you're in. Yeah. yeah. And the other wild <laughs> thing is, right, like. You hear people say attraction, not promotion, right? Yeah. Now, I don't tell anyone that I'm sober, yeah. right? But, like, like I didn't have to become a square to do this thing. No. Like, I'm staying in punk houses around the country, and right? I just went to Philly, I just went to New York, I just came to New Orleans, right? Halloween, New Orleans, biggest, second biggest party of the year. Insane, Maybe man. bigger for the locals than Mardi Gras, you know? Um, at least my friends down here, for sure. Yeah. And, like... I'm last night I was at a punk show and then a rave, right? And like the temptation isn't there at all. You know, like uh some of my friends here are drug dealers, you know, like and it's not it's not a big deal. And some of them are asking me about how good I feel, yeah. you know? And they're like, Wow, this is wild, you know, and a lot of these people are people who've known me for a really long time. Mm. And uh you know, two of the things that were amazing to me, we'll go three. Um, one of my buddies, you know, saw me in fairly early, you know, I'm, I still consider this early sobriety, um, where I'm at today. Um, but my buddy was, maybe I was a year or something. Um, I was like, this is wild. I really feel like, uh, I got the, I got the buddy that I used to know back. Mm. Another one of my friends was like, you're like a improved version of yourself. You're like the same great dude that you always were back when I met you, but you're like more fun, you know? More um, fun? You know? That doesn't compute. Which is wild, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah. you know, one of the biggest ones for me was uh, when I got out of that residential treatment facility, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I didn't really want to live in a sober living because at the time, like, I get high in sober living houses. It doesn't, my using isn't really situational. Like, I'm going to get loaded no matter what, you know? That's the way that I get loaded. So I was looking at a room. I had that little bit of scratch. You know, I took some time off. I continued to take time off of work or going back to work because it was suggested to me to just focus on recovery for the first couple of months. Um, I'm looking at places to rent. My mom invites me to come back into her house. Last day I'd been in her house, she saw me using, you know, it's not pretty. Um, I thought about it long and hard. We set down some ground rules for how that would look and how that would work. Um, after a couple months, six months maybe actually, of me being there and I'm moving out to my own place, she turns to me and she said, you know, when I invited you back into my house, I wanted the best for you, but I didn't really know if I had a son that I could trust and it was really scary and in this very short amount of time and all of the conversations that I have with you I've learned that I'm that you've become a person that I respect um which is so wild yeah. you know and that's like hearing that kind of stuff it's kind of goosebumpy you know that's where it's at man yeah yeah regaining the uh those relationships well shit dude i think uh i think we've got 
I think we've got some good stuff. Ended with that mom story. I'm about to cry right here. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, thanks again for coming, dude. And um, um, safe travels and, and, and good luck on the rest of your journey, dude. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. All right.